Good morning. I praise the Lord and thank you for the invitation and we give him the glory and the honor for there's nothing that we can do without him. We are who we are only because of his grace and we completely stand on the finished work and merit of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We have no boasting of ourselves. We cannot. We have nothing to boast of other than the cross of Christ and him going to our place on Calvary and risen again that we just finished celebrating. Uh, folks, uh, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm going to keep it real with you because the Bible tells us very clearly to put away falsehood, speak the truth one to another because we're members one of another. Now, some of you will get bothered by what I say. Some of you will say amen but have no idea why you're saying it. It just sounds like a good word to say every once in a while. And then others will be pricked to the heart, challenged to the heart, and you're going to have to do something about it. God will not let you settle. We've gotten too settled in our lives, and we have gotten too comfortable in our world, and we have no idea that we have been called to a deeper and greater work, not again because of anything in our sufficiency, but all because of the sufficiency of Christ are we called to that place. So how many of you trust God? Let me see your hand. Okay? Now here's a question. How many can God trust you? Now, missions and church is all about God. Do you believe that? Okay, how many of you believe in global missions? Say to your neighbor, do you believe in global missions? Say to your neighbor. Okay, say to your neighbor again, do you believe in missions across the street? Now, I want you to do something. I want you to take them by the hand. If you don't have a hand, find one. Take them by the hand. And I want you to look them. Some of you don't even believe what I'm saying right now because you ain't doing it. And some of you need to look right into each other's eyes and say, neighbor, we shall see. All right? Now, the first test of God's positioning you, and I believe this is the timing that God has actually called me to be in this place because some of you were questioning whether I should come simply because I am a inner city missionary for over some plus 40 years. But God has made a shift. I am still a missionary spending about 95% of my time in inner city ministries doing a variety of, of ministries and outreach, always looking for where there's a crack where the church has not filled and when I find a place where the crack, where the church is not filling, I am called to that place to fill it. Now, if you believe in missions, if you have a place in your own heart where you said you came to the crossroads of your life, where you saw yourself as a sinner before a holy God, and you came to repentance, and you trusted Christ Jesus as your Savior... Okay, because I know a lot of folk want to get saved because they don't want to go to hell or they want to be saved from their circumstances. And most folks that come to church asking for Jesus to save them, it's not for they want his lordship. They just want his benefits. And in the benefits, they want to be able to sort of enjoy those benefits, but don't ask me into discipleship because that's a whole nother world. And that's where lordship becomes a reality. Do you get me? 
Okay, I want to see how many of you are positioned to do this. I don't like you all lot back there. I'm going to ask you to move. I'm going to ask you to move up here. I'm going to ask you to be Baptist for this one Sunday. Let's go. I want you all to move up. Let's see what your position is. If your position is a reality of the disciple of Jesus Christ, we're asking you to move up. I want to get close up personal. I want you to see me. If you get close enough, you can smell me. But I want you to get up. I mean, I know you guys up there, you're saying, you know what? He's not really talking about us. Yes, I am talking about you. He's not all talking. About. Come on up here, folks. I want you to see what this church looks like when it says we believe in missions. You know why? Because the church that believes in missions always provides the backseat for those who are coming who may not be sure why they want to step forward. But if they don't see anybody stepping forward, they say, you know, whatever it is, that must be contagious. We better stay back here because somebody up there up front got some something going on that we want them to step. There you go. I want to empty that out up there. I can empty it. Come on, guys. Some of you are just saying, you know, Pastor, you don't know, but I just got some crazy glue on my pants or my dress. I can't move myself. But if you have disability, please do not take it as though you need to come up. You sit there. But if you do have the ability to walk up here. See, I got you some folks. You got some you folks mad already at me, but that's okay. That's okay. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's about Jesus. And that's what we're all about here. That's what we're coming here to be about is about the Lord. Okay? That's why I wanted you up here because now you can see me. All righty. Now, when I was asking my brother, who's kind of like been, uh, I've been shadowing as I've gone through over here, and I said, listen, I want you to get me one of these here stands down here. You didn't see how many colors of shades that band changed into. <laughs> I could see him sweating. I'm only kidding. But I knew that I was kind of like messing his groove <laughs> a little bit. He's used to making adjustments. But, you know, he was thinking more about you. He says, they might not like this. They might not want this. They might not know how to handle it. But i just like to see whether you're ready to do something that you've been talking about. I don't know how long you had your missions for a couple of days, a weekend, or what have you. It's becoming so low-key in today's world and society that people don't even know why you even have them, that kind of thing. See, there's two kinds of missions. The missions that you celebrate as you're doing a day, and then the missions that you're doing. The missions you get into. The missions where the rubber really meets the road. That kind of a thing. So God has been good. And we have just uh, planted and started up another church in one of the worst areas of Philadelphia called, uh, called the Barrio or the Badlands. Depending what we're calling it, the Goodlands. It is the place where there's a lot of uh, assassinations, a lot of killing, a lot of drugs. And uh, we've been having service. Our whole Holy Week was down there. How would you like to have your Holy Work, work service in the worst areas of attention span and so forth. And so we were down there, and it's a Kip and Cambry, in case any of you ever lived down that area, you've been in that area. Uh, that's where we're at. Now, I'm going to ask you one more question. Bear with me. How many, now you better listen to this one, because this one will get you into trouble if you don't listen to it, okay? How many of you want a man-centered, orchestrated ministry of the word? How many of you want a man-centered, man-orchestrated message today. How many of you want that? Man-centered, man-centered message today. How many of you want that? You better hear me. You better hear me. 
Okay, all right. How many of you want a spirit-filled, God-directed message today? Okay, some of you are tittling. Okay, that means you don't know whether you're here, whether you're not. I can prove to you by according to the Word of God, I can prove that if that's your case, you're not here. I can actually prove it from the Word of God that you're not here. If you don't know whether you're coming or going. All right? But nevertheless, the reason I say that, I'm going to honor your time. Because if not, I understand that you won't invite me back. That's okay. I'm not here to do so. But here I am. Now, the theme of my message, yours, I think, was, you know, where do we go from here or where do we go or something like that, I think. What was, your, what was the theme that was running around? Elders or those of you that did the mission thing, what was it? Why go? Why go? Good question. That was a fantastic song that we just finished rapping and singing. That was powerful. And I really enjoyed that. It brought tears to my eyes. In my old age, I'm about to be 60... Uh, six years old, I, I become a cryberry. I, I cry about everything. I cry when I read the scriptures. I cry when I sing. I pray when I pray with people and, and so forth. So I try to control a lot. I'll try to control a lot of that today. But you see, we're looking at a time, and this is the theme, okay? You know, why go? But, but why go? Maybe I can answer that question right off the bat. We're saying, you know, the lost world demands action. The lost world in which we live demands action. I'm going to read two passages of scriptures, and after that I'm going to sit down because that would be the whole sermon without having to do any exploratory preaching beyond that. And it says here in Romans chapter 9, and then they asked me, here's another thing, they asked me to send them, they asked me to send their outline, and I know why they didn't put it in your bulletin. There ain't no room for it. Okay, now give them an outline. They don't know how much I sweated to do that, but anyway. Uh, <laughs> I normally don't operate that way. I don't put outlines. You know why? Because God changes messages for me. Whenever I go preaching, and next thing you know, I have this message, and then the congregation, I thought he was going to preach about this. Where did he go with that? But that's the way God's Spirit works with me, not all the time with everybody, but with me at least in those cases. It says here in Romans chapter 9, verse 1 to 5, it says, I speak the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience confirms it in the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my own brothers. Those of my own race, the people of Israel, theirs is the adoptions as son. Theirs is the divine glory, the covenant, the receiving of the law, the temple worship, and the promises. Theirs are the patriarchs. From them is traced the human ancestry of Christ, who is God over all forever. Praise, amen. And 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, verses 1 to 5. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, whom will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season, out of season, correct, rebuke, encourage, with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, they said to suit their own desire, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears will want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myth. But you, keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all of your duties of your ministry. 
In Romans, I'm not going to expound a whole lot on it because I got a lot to go, but I just want to say the man's heart is real. The man's heart is real. And the man's desire is to see folk, especially those of his own nation, reached. And the same man speaks to one of his young protege, Timothy, and he shares his heart. And he says, hey, let's keep it real, Timothy. I'm keeping it real. I'm being transparent. Today, we're not living in a world, and even inside the church, we are not keeping it real. We're not transparent with ourselves, let alone transparent with other people around us. So he says, I want you to understand, when you deal with the gospel, it is about cutting you up in so many pieces that there's nothing left of you that it'll take a miracle and it will take a God to put you back together again. We have to stop with the patchwork religion because we find all kinds of ways of patching ourselves up. We're trying to do something that God is calling us. You know, he tells us in Revelations as we think about his second coming and we think about his return. He says, I'm doing a new thing. And I want you, he says, I'm doing an old, a new thing and I want you to write it down. And I want you to know you can trust it. You can trust it. You see, when we begin to look at this whole situation of a lost world, okay, or lost people in a lost world demands action, we could also go to Matthew 28, verse, uh, verse I mean, Matthew 6, 28. It says here, consider the lilies of the field. See how they, what? They toil not or they labor not and they do not spin. What do the lilies do? They do nothing. How many lilies do we have here? How many lilies do we have here? You see, the question is here that that I have for the church, and not just this church, church globally, church locally. The question is that I have is, you know, uh, are you going to respond? How are you going to respond to this calling, to this mission, whether it's across the street and around the world, which we always say at our place? You know, how do you respond to this mission? In, in 2017, in the year of our Lord. How do you do this as we move forward in the 21st century? You're either going to be a people of action or you are going to be procrastinators. The question is, which are you? Action, what you're doing now, what you're about now. Procrastination, what you'll do when you get to it, if it's convenient to get to it. After you get done to whatever it is you got done or whatever you think of getting done in your life. We need to watch that. Because Jesus warned about those who pursue their lives, they're going to lose it. But those who forsake their lives or lose their lives for the kingdom's sake, they got it. You got about 95% of Christendom living for what they can survive and what they can exist and what they can make real for themselves in this world. And then whatever is left over, they'll consider missions. They'll consider ministry in the local church, you see. We need to understand that we cannot afford to basically sit around when we're thinking we're ready to do something for God. You see, one way or another is that maybe you may be thinking about missions or you may be thinking about doing some of this work and so forth. Um, but you got to be aware, what are you responding to? Where do you go from here? How do you respond to this call of mission? In the 21st century. 
And especially, how do you respond it here? See, when I said that you may have not called me originally because God has expanded, you see, about four years ago, we started um, a, a ministry reaching out, taking folk like yourself, folk that's never been out of this country, never been folk that grew up in the ghetto, folk that didn't have all the best education they could have, folks that were disadvantaged in one way or another, and we started training them. As they were already coming along, committed, and going into the streets with me and doing the kinds of reach outreaches and evangelism that we do in the street, and I said, we're going to start to teach you how to win people across the street and around the world. And I says, but I want you to go. When we go to missions, the reason Nehemiah School of Mission exists for two purposes. One is to try to uh, uh, fill up the gaps in the city of Philadelphia where there's holes. I mean, ministry, just like we're doing with this particular ministry, Iglesia de Barrio. The drug dealers basically chased everybody out of that church because it was so hostile to them. And then the, uh, one of our dear sister, uh, Eunice Sanchez, who's been there in that community working with the after-school program, and most of the kids that are going there are kids that are related to the drug dealers and the drug addicts. And so there was a big gaping hole, and you know the whole case of, of Nehemiah when he says, hey, if you're having problems... In that part, as we're shoring up the wall, as we're moving in and to try to build up the city and, and get its walls repaired and give glory to God so that this movement of God is evident to the people who have lost hope, who have lost faith, who have lost the vision and the heart for God. Let's put this thing back together because there's a powerful statement of the presence of God doing what man cannot do, but what he's willing to do for a man or a woman or a young person who's willing to say, here, my God, send me. So we've been doing that around the city. We've been going and shoring up different places where the hole is there. And there's a cry. There's a cry. Your brothers and sisters are crying for the wall in their area to be shored up. So we're in there. We had, our, like I said, our whole Holy Week over there. And, and before we go out to, the, to do a service, what we do? We go in the street, folks. We go to the streets before we even invite them into the church to go to pray, to share the gospel with them, and then invite them back to the church, invite them back to the community, to the meeting. And it's usually outside because we do it outside before we, if we have to go inside. It says as long as the weather is cool, we're going to do service outside. You see, because that's where the people, that's where the drug dealers, if you come, you'll see drug dealers. Boom, 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 boom. You see people of all generations coming to pick up drugs from 85-year-old women, okay, the teenagers coming into that neighborhood. We just had a baptism that same day of somebody receiving Christ. You say, what are you talking about? Don't you got to go through like catechism class? Don't you got to go to this class and that class to, to sort of, hey, I don't see that in the Bible. I see disciples when folks that didn't even know, heathens who just come to faith in Christ, come to faith in Christ, and then what happened? They were baptized. A prostitute, a drug dealer, a drug addict said yes to Jesus. And right there in Kipp and Kendra, a little pool, a little baby pool that I got, <laughs> filled that up with water and just baptized her. As she confessed Jesus Christ with her mouth and believed in her heart that he was Lord and is asking for his grace and strength to help him to follow Jesus. There's no other way she could do it, folks. You see? And so what you have to understand is that God is a God about actions, and he's ready. Let me share my testimony. You see, I was a young man, and I was a young man of action. I was a young man involved, and I used to dress like it was called to kill. 
They used to say that old word, oh, man, you're dressed to kill. I used to have my bell bottoms back in the day. Now you see how far back I go. Okay? I had my high boys, you know, shirt. Okay? Big old giant collar going on like that, right? And then I had my color-coordinating shoes. You know, whatever I wore, I had the whole thing. You know, if it was, uh, if it was green, it was like I was green from top to bottom. And I wasn't Irish either. Okay? Socks, shoes, everything. And I would get all kinds of compliments. Then there was the gangs. That's right. Knocking down little old ladies, getting into gang fights, doing everything that I could do to kind of survive the gangs back in the 60s. Okay? I mean, I was a man of action. I was even involved in religion. I got so involved in religion, you know, I had the power. As the scripture says there in, in, in Timothy, having the form of godliness but denying the power thereof. Having the reputation of being alive, but I was dead as Revelations chapter 1, chapter 3, verse 1. You see, I was a person of action. I went from extreme to extremes. But you see, my problem is I was a young man of action in all the wrong places, in all the wrong areas of my life. But I was a young man of action until Jesus Christ came in and saved my soul. Even in school, I flunked everything but lunch and recess. I had the highest grades on those two. But everything else went down the top. You see, by God's grace, he gave me opportunity to finally come to that place in Christ where he gave me new life in him. You see, and that new life in him is what birthed what God is doing in me. There's no one here that has confessed that Jesus Christ is Savior and Lord of their lives that are either bored, okay, and that have no sense of direction or vision because the Bible says without vision the people perish. Everyone should understand that God, if he's called you, he's called you specifically and positioned you in an area of ministry. Now, listen, we're living in a time and we're living in a world where everything you and I believe in, if you believe it, of the scriptures, those things which we hold dear according to our biblical traditions and our biblical teachings, that everything that we hold dear, it is being fought against. It is trying to destroy everything based on what they believe is the new agenda, the new world, according to their perspective and worldview, you see. So we find this in this world. But here is this. They are trying to provide you a solution to what addresses the problems of our culture and of our world today. What are some of those things that are institutions, and I think there's the fourth, institutions that are around that people believe these are our saviors? One is education. That's right. They keep telling you the reason our mess is in our mess within community, within the world. People are not educated. People don't understand these issues. We got to bring them into this enlightenment. And we have our colleges doing it. We have our universities doing it. And I'm telling you, they're messing our people up. So they would teach their humanism. They'll teach their socialism. They'll teach their liberalism. This is what they think. And then you have the government. The government says, listen, I'm your mommy, okay? And I'm your daddy. Call me mommy. Call me daddy because that's who I am. That's what the government will say to you. They want to create this welfare mindset. They're putting already in the minds, and there's many already with this entitlement attitude. I believe this entitlement attitude is a demonic spirit. Beyond so many more that we have dealing with in our culture and society. It's you owe me. You owe me. You need to give me. And I don't know if you've ever dealt with people 
that you have put yourself out there and you have helped them every which way and every way you can. I know because I've had a lot of people living in my home where we would take them off the street. We have people from the pulp. We have people from alcohol, drug addiction, prostitution. We've had all kinds of people. You know why I had those people come into my house? They kept me close to Jesus. That's right. That's where my Christianity was either going to be real or not. You put yourself in a place, in a position of transparency, where your house literally becomes a, a, a house of glass, where they get to see you in your best, they get to see you in your worst, they get to see how you respond to this and that, because you see, real discipleship, people got to get up close and personal. Real discipleship, you got to see what it smells like, what it tastes like, what it looks like when it's the worst circumstances in life. How do you go through life? You see, there's a lot of people that need to learn what it looks like to be biblical Christians. We're living in a culture, we're living in a time that's not really working that way. Because you see, the institution of the family is another important one. The institution of family today in our culture is being redefined, and so many are trying to redefine what the family, what marriage is, what everything is going on, that type of thing. They're trying to redefine this. And then you find that in that situation, you have so many dysfunctioning families. We work with them all the time. Matter of fact, as we're going into the barrio, the burial, the church, the community, which means barrio, community, we're going into their home. We're saying, we're not even telling them to come to church. We're saying, now, you know what? We want to go to your house. And some of them, their homes are so dysfunctional. They're so ashamed. They're so embarrassed to have people go in their home. So some of them, we take them to another place to minister to them. Because, you see, for me to go into your house is I begin to look at how you live. You say, oh, I don't know if you want me. You don't want to go to my house. If that's the way you are. You're an inspector. I say, no, I'm not an inspector. I just want to see what your world is like. I just want to see how you live. I want to understand why you do the things you do within these four walls that sometimes you're too ashamed to go and take out before these walls. And I, and I want to love you in it. I don't want to come to condemn you. I don't want to come to judge you. I don't want to come to dissect you. That's not the purpose. I want to know how to love you well. I want to know how to be there for you better. And I can't do that if you're not transparent. I can't do that if I don't see you. I can't do that if I don't let you into my world. And I don't become vulnerable before you. So you can see that I have clay feet just like you do. So you have the family, and then you have so many kids today. They don't know whether they're male or female in our culture. Let me tell you, there's a lot of action going on. Then you have the church. That's right, the church. You know, which has seemed to have lost its calling in so many areas and so many places. It's sad when you begin to see it. You see, they have lost the Father's heart as far as missions is concerned, that kind of thing, in reaching the lost. They, have un- they do not understand their mission, you see, and that mission of righteousness and justice and humility. They do not understand the core values of, of you know, going out into the highways and byways. And, and, and as Jesus says, the anointing was upon him, the spirit, and, and he went out to do what? He went out there to, to give eyesight, right? Set the captives free, give eyesight to the blind, open up the ears of those who were deaf, and then also to help the lame, to heal the lame. And, and, and to raise the dead. I mean, there's some folk out there, you say, I can see, they can see, they can hear. No, they can't. 
we're talking about there were some physical manifestations and miracles of Jesus Christ in these aspects. But let me tell you something. I run into a lot of blind folk that got eyes to see, and they can't see a thing. I run into a lot of deaf people that you think, as the Bible says, if you have ears to hear, say, hear what the Spirit of God has to say to the churches. Jesus said that, and the Revelation said that. Had to repeat it seven times to the churches in the book of Revelation. That means we have a hearing problem, spiritual hearing problem. We have a spiritual tension deficit. You know, when, 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 when my brother says, we go 30 minutes, I try to take five, 25 minutes. I said, man, your church must have spiritual tension deficit. They can't hang in there, can they? <laughs> man, if you were my church, my church is starting about right now. We've already been 11 o'clock. You know what you might want to do? You want to flip things around. You may want to put church first and do Sunday school last. That's why you can stay in Sunday school a little bit more in the act. You say, ah, don't go you starting that, Pastor. Don't you go starting that. I'm seriously, consider it. Consider it. Do your church first. Let's see where the disciples come in. And then do training and discipleship afterwards. See if they can digest and get involved with what they're just being spoken by the man of God who may have spoken that truth. That's the thought. Don't take me if you don't want to. So what we find today is that the church is becoming more a liability. I ask you. When's the last time? And you probably have done it, so if you haven't done it, you know, don't sweat it. How many of you have gone? And I'm talking about every one of you, not just the, 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 the faithful few, the 10 or 15% in the church that's involved in anything. The rest of you come to warm the benches, you know. They're not persons. They don't really need you to warm them up. Okay? Sometimes it'd be good to take them out so that you can be ready to move out and do the work. But how many of you have gone into this community, either personally or as a group, maybe two by twos, because the Bible's biblical, go two by twos, and have asked your community, what church in this area is impacting your life? What church is dealing with the issues of your community in this life? And you'll find out whether this church here is a liability or is an asset. And I want to tell you something. It's true as God sees my heart. If you're a liability, get out and stop this church because you're sending the wrong message to this community. Everything does not happen under these four walls. There's more stuff that has to happen outside of these walls than happen inside of these walls. But we find that we get settled and it's hard to move us from a seat in a particular place in the church. And we got to watch that. There is a, a, a gas, a satanical gas that is putting many people to sleep. And Satan is saying, that's right, stay here, stay here. Don't venture out. You're going to get hurt out there. You're going to get uncomfortable out there. People are going to reject you out there. People are going to be in your face out there. People are not going to understand you out there. Don't go out there. Here's the safe. Just kind of go into this holy huddle. Teach each other. Encourage each other. Love one. The devil doesn't care if you love on one another. The devil doesn't care if you encourage one another. The devil doesn't care if you do all kinds of fancy Bible study. He don't care. Just don't go out there and tell others about it. Don't you go containing, con contaminating this community. But find out if this church is a light. And find out if this church is salt. And if it isn't, pack up, go somewhere else, because you're sending the wrong message to the community. 
That's why I started the house church. Because I pastor churches. And I can find this. And we can call other church people transplant. Come here. And don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that folks have not been affected. And I'm not saying that people have not been reached in this community. How much of it, that's on you. How well, that's on you. But I'm just saying, you know, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. And so, I've been in France. I'm going back to Spain. You see, this is what I'm saying. God has positioned me that I'm doing what I'm doing here, but now God's telling me, I want you to go out there. So, we went to Spain. I was with the lepers for a little bit to hear what they were doing because they were part of our prayer group that we meet at Dennis and Judy's house for praying for Muslims across the street and around the world. And, 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 and that's a great thing God's doing there because we've seen so many missionaries launched out of there. All of our folks that were just basically attending the Bible study now are the same folks that are now going over to mission field. They were doing short-term missions, but they've been doing it every year. So we go to Spain. And we went uh, to Malagra. Malagra, I was, we were there. That's where we did a church plant because somebody asked us to come in there and help. And I'm telling you, they asked us to come to do a church plant. But <laughs> when we got there, most of us were adults because they were shocked, first of all, that we, when we showed up because they thought that we would be all teenagers and high schoolers and middle school kids that may want to do their little, you know, mission donation. And they're figuring, okay, go ahead, go ahead. They had, such a, they had such a sense of, uh, of ease until we got there that we're going to send these kids and, and they're going to go out there and venture and they're going to have their fun and so forth. But when they saw all these adults, when they see all these old heads show up and they show some of these women show up, they said, whoa, 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 what are you guys doing? They said, we've come to minister the word. Our group got off the plane after their nine-hour trip from here over there. They looked at me, okay, pastor, we're going to rest. I said, you're going to do what? I said, we can get here to rest. We got a window. We got a window of a week. So take an hour, okay? Get rested up, and then let's hit the streets. Take an hour. Rest up a bit, and we hit the streets. Well, how do you sleep too well? I ain't asked you whether you slept well. I said, get out there. We got to go. We're not here for self. We're not here to do sightseeing. And I said, I bet not here that you guys are, 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 are doing uh, are you doing tourists or you're buying, I mean, you're buying uh, souvenirs to take back home while you're doing No. We'll give you a, an hour or so afterwards, after we're done our job. And then you can go do some sightseeing a little bit. And then you can go ahead and do some, you know, souvenir. And it better not be the money that you raise for missions. I says, when we go, we raise as much as we can because we want to sow into whatever ministry we're there. And we want to be able to bless that ministry. And then at the end of the trip, you know what I ask them? I say, okay, how much money you got left? I said, how much money you got in your pocket left from, from, from the missions? Okay, give it over here. All right? You don't need it no more. We're going out of this country. We're going to leave the money here. So we go and we give over to the ministry the money that we have left. Anything we have left, it's yours. We want to bless you. Okay? Because, you see, we're not there for ourselves. You understand me? And too many times we're looking at what is it in for us. Wasn't that question the disciples asked Jesus at the kind of beginning? Lord, we have left our families. We have left this. We have left that. What's it in for us? He said, we haven't left anything that you would not get a hundredfold back. But he had to add that one thing, right? Persecution. You guys ready for that? They probably say, you know what? Do we have to go all the way? Can we just go up to where it's cool and it's nice and it's fun? No. All the way. All righty, so let me help you understand something. 
I'm not trying to be cynical. I'm trying to be real. But there is redemption through the purpose of Christ. Because the Bible does tell us that as, as the water covered the seas, so my word will cover the earth. The Bible does tell us that upon Jesus, he has that perfect government in the sea. The Bible tells us that not only education God's effect, he's affecting, he's going to affect government, but he also, the Bible tells us that the church, he is building up his church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against him. The family, he's saying, you know what? I got that. Except the Lord built the house, they labor in vain to build the house or the home. See, he's got this covered. But we got to, let's say, begin to model that in the body of Christ. As our Lord is ushering and will bring all of these things to flourishing, we know that. That's our hope. That's our faith. That's our moving forward in the 21st century and beyond because God is doing that kind of work. And so I don't want to leave you with this sad note, but we are living in a, in a period in a culture which is a revival of evil trying to do everything by the enemy to strike us down. Now, what time do you usually get out of here? 12, 1230? 1 o'clock? Okay, let me go real fast because you guys are getting impatient now. Your stomachs are rumbling. The kids are probably ready to break through. I tell the folks in our church when we go, and that says, if the kids are down there, you have them bring them up, let them come up, let them make noise. But I do want to say this as a provisor. If you feel you got to go because you got that pot roast in the oven and you don't want to see it burn because you timed it, you can get up and go. You can get up and go. If you, if you got to do something, I mean, I'm telling you. Okay, real quick. Let me see if I can run. I'm going to run real quick. I want to tell you about a man. And this man was Saul of Tarsus. I'm going to tell you something. He was a man's man. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisee. He got taught at the feet of Gamaliel, and the man was serious. You can't take him as a joke. He was a serious man. Matter of fact, this guy didn't sit around when he went after believers. He was a man of action. He didn't say, hey, Christians are wrong. Christians are wrong. No, he sat and he consented to the slaughtering of their uh, that first disciple martyr, uh, Stephen's, and then, of course, he had letters from the elite there in Jerusalem who said he could just hunt down the people of the way. Hunt them down. Get them in prison. Consent to their death. Do whatever you got to do. You're a man of action. Paul, we got the right man at the right place because he was the man of action. He was public enemy number one, but he was a man of action. Then you know what happened to him when he got turned around in, in Acts chapter 9. He got knocked down, whether it was from his horse or from his feet, whatever. He got knocked down. And when he got knocked down, everything imploded. Everything in Paul's life began to implode. He didn't have an idea in the world what has just happened, but he knew he was on the wrong track and he needed to get on the right track. And God says, I'm going to get you on the right track, Paul. And he got him on the right track. And then you see what happened to Paul. You see, everything in his life got turned inside out. His attitude was now, I don't care what they do to me. They can kick me. They can spit at me. They can stone me. They can plot assassinations. They can kill me. I don't care what they do to me. I don't belong to myself because he says there in the scriptures, in uh, the book of Acts 20, 24, I consider my life worth nothing to me. If only I may finish the race and complete the task 
of the Lord Jesus has given me the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. Paul said, whoa, God has done an amazing thing in my life. He has shown me grace that I could not ever have deserved. For I persecuted, I was against his very calling and his very word. I thought I was there, but I wasn't there. I was against all that. But he has such grace that he says, listen, you can't do it. How many of you got that attitude? How many of you have that position? Really, how many of you have that position? If somebody cuts you off in front of the road, are you saying, oh, I wish I was a cop right now. I'll give you such a fat ticket, you'll be spinning your head. Oh, you wait. You wait till I get up to the light. You think you can cut somebody off? I'm going to cut you off. See how you feel like it. I mean, what is the disposition of your spirit, of your heart, in regards to discipleship? Do you do what David says? He says, I want to allow certain things in my home, in my house, but I'm going to keep my eyes on the ones in the land that are right with God. And I'm going to keep my eye on the line of those who's right with God. And I want them to sort of rub on me. I want to be mentored by them. I want to be discipled by them. I want to get close up front to see what works in their discipleship. I wonder how many of you have mentors. I wonder how many of you have disciples. You said, Pastor, I don't need no discipleship. I don't need no. Let me tell you something. If you don't need discipleship, you certainly need accountability because that's part of discipleship some of us want to be by ourselves for ourselves unto ourselves to be whatever we think we want to be in ourselves and it's not working i would just ask you how's that working for you and some of you if you're really honest you say it ain't working well get into real discipleship get into real mentoring and you may catch an attitude like this because then you'll go there's nothing listen when i first came to faith in christ i had to face the gang i had to face the community but nobody told me what a missionary is. You know what I did when I first came to Christ? I started, I came back home, crying like a baby that God would use me to, to, to raise my family, to share the gospel with them. And they thought I was nuts. They thought I was crazy. And then I hit the street. I started going door by door. Nobody told me. Other than the fact that I saw those who discipled me. They were in a community, which was Teen Haven, founded and directed with Bill Jury, who's gone on to be with glory for the Lord. But I just saw them doing this. And I said, okay, I can do that. I didn't ask them to go with me. I just said, I'm going to go. I'm going to start knocking on doors. And I'll start knocking on doors. And then I said, okay, next thing I need, I need to be in the street. I need to get a little bit more folks because, you know, it's going to take me too long going up and down these stairs. But I'll keep doing that. But I'm going to hit the streets. And I started hitting the street. When my mother, who passed away a couple of years ago, 85 years old, when she came to Christ, when we led her to Christ, you know what my mom started doing? She started witnessing. She couldn't read. She was raised in Puerto Rico, and she had to get taken out of school when she was very young because she was the oldest of all the others, and she had to watch them because her, her stepmother passed away. Her mother had passed away, and then her stepmother passed away. But she started witnessing when my dad, after 11 and a half years of me praying for him that he would get saved, when he got saved, he was with me. I discipled my own dad. But my dad went with me everywhere I went from that time on. He did open air with me. He would go door to door with me. He just saw his son doing that. That's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about discipleship becoming the real DNA of biblical discipleship. Not this church stuff that we play to try to keep entertained and from having to feel guilty. Because we try to do the minimum. This is about laying your life. When we went to Kip in Cambria, okay, just a month before we got there, four young men in their 20s were assassinated. They weren't just, they weren't just shot 
as a drive-by shooting. The drivers of the car got out and stood over their bodies and emptied out their guns. When I see a little girl walking in that neighborhood without a mommy, because mommy's too into drugs, that she can't even be there for her. And that young lady could be open to all kinds of abuse and rape that you could never imagine. When I deal with police officers who have to pick up these children and have to deal with these hard, hard cases of picking up dead bodies and finding that they have a child the same age as they have and then cannot go to sleep and they're traumatized and they're dealing with post-traumatic distress when I see Muslims who are zealous for Allah, because that's what they understand, that's what they have been taught from their young years of life, and believe that the Christian Bible is corrupt, and believe that Christians do not have it together. They failed as far as they're concerned in the cause of God and his purpose and mission, and he has left Islam to really get the world back together and make it happen like Christians and Jewish people have failed to do. And I see their zeal, but I see their lostness. You have to understand, folks. Paul became a man of action. I became a man of action because there was a radical, God-divine work that we could not produce in a thousand years in and of ourselves, but it was the work of God because there was right mentoring, right discipleship, right word. I could not read a stitch of God's word when I became a I could not read, period. Period, I could not read. But you know what? When I got discipled, I started asking somebody, could you record this in a tape recorder so that I can hear it over and over and over again, and then I can memorize it? Do you know that I thought that Paul the Apostle was living in the 20th century? Nobody ever told me that reading the Good News of Modern Man, that all those characters were dead. Nobody told me. So I was always waiting for Paul to come to Philadelphia because he says he's coming. He says he's coming. And I memorized scriptures like you wouldn't believe I memorized scriptures. I'm saying Paul's coming to Philadelphia. So I went to a Sunday school. You know, I don't want to say I cursed the Sunday school, but I went to Sunday school and they started talking about Paul. And they say he did 2,000 years ago. You know how I started mourning? I mean, I began to mourn. I began to feel like I lost my buddy. I lost my friend. I lost the man that has inspired me as he is a man of action. I wanted him to come, and I wanted to just share with him all the Bible verses that I have. In that sense, ignorance was a blessing because I kept memorizing scriptures like crazy. You know, I figured Jesus is going to come after me next, so I got to get ready for him. I'm going to ask you, where are all the men? Where are all the men? of courage that God is calling. This is another thing, guys, I have. Man, <laughs> Paul was a man of action. But I'm going to tell you something. This is not only here in Philadelphia, and this is not only here in this country, but I am seeing that one of the biggest missing items, with the exception of maybe 10, and I'm being generous, and I'm being awfully generous if I say 15 of the male population is involved in any outreaching and setting the pace and mentoring what it means to be men of courage and men of action in the 21st century, moving beyond. You know how many women I have that are working doing that? I have more women going into the worst place in Philadelphia, and they have more to lose in going into that situation than many of the men. I mean, it's not a really off-beaten-path kind of 
picture because we saw it in the New Testament too. Most of the women that stood by Jesus, I mean, most of the people that stood by Jesus were women. And that's not to, you know, be unbalanced because God doesn't like unbalanced. He likes balance. So, you know, thank God for the women. But I want to thank God because he has equipped men and they're procrastinating. And I want to challenge you men to get to the place where you're going to begin to do this. Now, there were certain reasons really quickly, okay, real quickly. I know you're all hungry now that motivated Paul to be the man of God that he is. And that was, number one, he was unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we have in Romans chapter 1, verse 16. And so he knew that. And that's where Paul would begin. Paul would begin with his unashamedness. There are some things we ought to be ashamed of. There's some things we better stop, like, you know, lying and, and carrying on. And, and, you know, the things that we should be ashamed of. And I'm not going to put you out there. But you know what they are. You should be ashamed of them. But there is certainly no reason to be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it's good news. And Paul was not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because he had a message. And what a message he had to share with people that needed that message. Also, Paul was motivated because of the wonder-working power of God. He wasn't ashamed of the gospel because it's not only a good news, but, but it's powerful. It is powerful to change people's lives. And let me tell you something. We need real biblical power, not just a reform of what we call power because somebody is carrying themselves or dressing themselves all in the external and there's no change in the internal because God tells us, he warns us about the carrying on of, you know, a form of godliness, but there's no power. There are a lot of godly people that act out godly as far as the outside and you say, wow, that's a good Christian until you start reading about them in the papers or you start reading about what happened in, even in art. Uh, back in, in some of the areas, you all started hearing all kinds of Christians. Boom, boom. Leaders from all areas. Missionaries, pastors, doctors, people who have been in the circle of Christianity for a long time. And next thing you know, you're seeing them boom, boom, boom. We got to watch that. We're all easily accessible. You know, the only thing that keeps us is only by the grace of God, which many of us say. And we better understand. The Bible says, guard your heart above all else, for it is the wellspring of life. And you need to guard your heart. God guards our heart through his word. Holy Spirit guards our heart. Jesus guards our heart. We need to understand that. Now, he was motivated by unshameless. He was motivated by the fact that he believed in the wonder-working power of God. Because if any man be in Christ, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 17, if any man, be, any man be in Christ, they are a new creation. If you're a new person, and then you got power. God has given you that new power. And then we see also that we could believe very strongly that Paul was motivated by the fact that it was for everyone. No one need excluded. Now, in this fellowship, you have Latinos, you have African Americans, you have maybe some Asians, you have a multi. You even have whites that are of different shades and colors and different backgrounds, uh, whether whatever. But but you're all included here, and thank God. It's an all-inclusive, wonderful gospel. No one needs to be excluded. And, and Paul was one who invited all, and we need to invite all even the most disadvantaged. I find out that a lot of churches are planted and are planted in some cases in places where there's financial stability for the minister. I don't know why ministers got to find a place where there's financial stability when his stability is Jesus. If he's called there, he's not going to worry about the finance. Not that the fact that you shouldn't pay him now. You hear me? I'm talking about he doesn't have to worry about that if he's called. He'll go first and then God meets the needs. I, I, we survived... Okay, two years without any finances. And we've survived two years without finances when we started. And there was 
God bringing people to fill our tank of gas, God providing food. I mean, don't tell me that this thing does not work. Don't say, and if you're a Christian and you're stressing about finances, you're mismanaging something. You're mismanaging your faith. You're mismanaging your resource. You're mismanaging your talents and your abilities and what God has deposited in you. You're mismanaging it. Don't tell me. And I'm not talking about you're out there rich. Paul says, I've learned. I've been content. I learned to have when God gives me a lot, and I learned when I ain't got nothing. Either way, I'm content. Either way, it's a God thing because you can't be content without him being at the heart of it. And so Paul was certainly motivated because he knew everybody was included. And then Paul was motivated by love. Now, I'm going to tell you, I have, I don't know how many folks are here now, uh, maybe 200, maybe something more. Uh, basically, um, I could ask each one of you, you probably give me a different interpretation of love. Each one of you, give me a different interpretation of love. Because a lot of people have their view, they have their understanding of what love is. But I'm going to tell you something, few people really understand the definition of love. And I love the fact that Peter is a man that probably could give us the best definition of love. And you remember what happened to him. He denied his Lord Jesus Christ in John chapter 21. And we find very quickly in there that as Jesus, after the resurrection, Jesus had to address him. And he says, Peter, do you love me? He says, oh, Lord, I love you. He says, you know, uh, feed my lamb. Hey, hey, Peter, do you love me? Uh, yes, Lord, you know I love you. You got this? Yes, okay, then, uh, you know, take care of my sheep. And, and, and Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. What's up with this? He says, take care of my sheep. You see, you got to understand that Peter had to be woken up to the reality that what he had first in his kind of convenient faith in following Jesus, it's going to take another turn and saying, Peter, when you were following me then, it was all about you, Peter. But I'm going to tell you, Peter, now, you know how you like to dress? You ain't going to be dressing yourself like that anymore. You know, you know how you like to go here and there? You know what, Peter? Other people are going to be taking you there. Hey, Peter, you know one day you're going to be tied up and you're going to die. And in that, you're going to glorify me. So, Peter, the agenda is it's me plus nothing. Do you hear me? He says it's me plus nothing. When you try to make a multiplication with Jesus Christ, you're already going down the slippery slope. If he is not the center, the very essence and being of why you live and breathe and understand your calling, and then you're going to look for approval and significance in all the wrong places that will take you down to a road that doesn't have much for you other than disappointment, disillusionment, and discouragement where you would want to do another thing. When you get to that place, you'll want to take your life. Because this world offers you nothing, absolutely nothing. You all heard the story about the chicken and the pig. It's been so many different versions. You all heard that? How many of you heard the story about the... Okay, Scott, anybody else? Okay, our brother there. Looks like all the elders know that story. There must be something going on here. Anyway, uh, a lot of you haven't? Okay, so I'm going to tell you real quickly. All right, stories about this uh, chicken and pig. They were in this island. This hurricane, typhoon, whatever, it's kind of like came and wiped everybody down. And as they're walking through, everything is devastation, right? And they're walking through, and, and, and they're looking at this mess, and they're in a conversation about the mess. And then all of a sudden, they hear some, some, some voices in the distance, and, and they understand there's some folks over there in the distance. And, and the pig says, hey, you know, um, there's some folks over there. He says, um, uh, what should we do for them? We, we, they need some kind of help. Uh, the chicken says, yeah, they need food. That's how they're going to survive. Everything else has been wiped out, right? So he says, okay, cool. Let's say, well, you know, what, what do we give them? What, what do we have? 
And the, the chicken says, oh, well, we can give them, um, you know, we can give them some eggs and we can give them some bacon. Um, and, 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 and the pig thought about it a little bit and he said, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You see, you're talking about your donation. You're talking about my life. You're talking about me sacrificing. You see, and, and this is what basically Jesus was saying. He says, stop with the donation. Start with the life. What really lasts is, is life. And so you have to understand that because apart from it, you're not going to get this, and I'm not going to make sense, and all I did is wasted your time, and you wanted to get home to that roast and everything else. But their motivation and power that Paul went through was the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, not by might, not by power, but by his Holy Spirit. And you've got to understand there's two kinds of power. There is what is called wind-up power, and then there is what is called real power, electrical power. Now, I had a wound-up train one time, and any of those wind-up toys, and again, that's certainly how old I was back in the day. But, you know, they have these wound-up toys. And these wind-up toys, you wind and wind them, and then they'll go, yee, 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 yee. Right? And, 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 and so then you do it again, and it's the same old thing, right? And sometimes you'll have missions conference, missions conference, missions conference, missions conference, missions conference, missions conference. Oh, I'm glad they have over that thing. Bible, let's do Bible conference, Bible conference, Bible conference, Bible conference, Bible conference. You see, every theme you would use in the church to try to move, motivate, power up your church, it's a wound-up thing. And it begins to lose its momentum after it all settles down. Everybody gets settled down again because it's not the norm. We have to understand, God has called us to live a supernatural life in the natural. We got it backwards. We're living natural life, trying to get some supernatural stuff going on. Once the Holy Spirit is indwell you, you have to understand that is the real reality of empowerment because that's what he said he would do. You see? But some of us need to be filled. We're all indwell if you trust in Christ. The Holy, but sometimes, and you see the disciples, every time once in a while, they're getting together and they will begin to ask for prayer. And it says that the power of the Holy Spirit will fill them and they will be sent out to do the work of the ministry. You see? And I wrap it up with this. We need to get away from the trains and put on the plug. We need to get away from the gas-run motorboats that will lose their gas. We need to go by the wind because the wind is ongoing and it continues to build. And we need to understand that God has called you to be a people of action, a people of action in a world that demands action, where lost people live that demand action. And I wrap it up with this one. Who do you listen to at the end of the day? Who are you listening to? So I'm going to make a call here. You probably don't have many altar calls, do you? Not many. I want you to listen really carefully because, I mean, I, I, I'm going to close this thing, and I want you to listen to me very, very carefully. I want you to know who, I want, I want you to ask yourself, who's in my head? When you're going to do global missions, and when you're going to be disciple, and when you're going to have the Lordship of Jesus Christ, you better know who you're listening to. Because you see, there's four voices. You're either listening to yourself, and the Bible says, not cool, not cool. Trust in the Lord God with all your heart. Lean not unto your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he shall direct your path. You better be listening to that voice. Or you're listening to the world's voice. In Romans chapter 12, it says, don't be squeezed. Don't be poured in. Don't be modeled according to this world's system or this world's way of carrying on. Because a lot of us are there listening to the world. And remember, the Bible says Satan is a deceiver and a liar. And he will lie to you up and down like you would believe he's a master at it. 
He is called the father of all liars. He would know how to do you in like you've never been done in. But here's a deceiver. Who are you listening to? Who are you listening? Are you listening to yourself? Not cool. Are you listening to the world? Not cool. Are you letting the devil deceive you? Not cool. Or are you doing what the psalmist in Psalms 85 verse 8 where he says, I will listen. I will listen to the voice of the Lord. For he promises me great peace. And I will not return back to my stupid stuff. It doesn't say stupid stuff. It says folly. I will not return to the folly. And some of you continue to go back to that folly over and over again. So here's my invitation. You may need, and I don't know, if you've never known Jesus, you've never understood what it meant to be a child of God, you need to know this one thing, that you're a sinner before a holy God. You need to repent and ask Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. We'll love to pray for you and see you in that and come to him. But you need to understand your own sense of mess and brokenness. I'm not asking you to come to Jesus for him to fix your mess. I'm asking Jesus, I'm asking you to ask Jesus to come in and save your soul. And then the rest begins to fall in place in its time. Or you may need to recommit your life to the Lord. You might have become like the nauseating, lukewarm person that God says, I'll spit out of my mouth. And he's addressing the church. Because we're not hot or cold. We're nowhere. We're just bland. And it's just nauseating. You may need to recommit your life to the Lord. And then today, maybe out of all of these things that have been going on in this church, with missions, you're saying, I'm going. I went to Guatemala last year in November. Went around to all the police stations. Went to the academy. Presented the gospel. Out of 220 that were there at the academy, 100 of them stood up to receive Christ and came forward. I'll be going back with a bunch of police officers trusting and praying to do the same thing. You see, are you going to be an action person or are you going to procrastinate? So I'm going to ask you to stand if this applies to you. If it doesn't apply to you, don't stand. If none of you stand up, you're not hurting my feelings. It's not about me. It's about you and him and what his reality is in your life. But if you never, if you're not even sure where you're going to spend the rest of eternity, and you want Jesus to be Savior and Lord of your life, just simply pray this prayer. Lord Jesus, I realize I'm a sinner, as I said. I ask you to forgive me. I believe that you died for my sins on the cross. You were buried, and I believe that you rose again from the dead, and you'll come in my life. And that's who I want. And just stand up right there quickly. Just stand if you've never trusted him as your Savior. Okay? I'm not going to take too long. How about those of you that, that really need to dedicate your life? You've gotten off the beaten path. You've been in that slippery slope. You've gotten to where you're asking all kinds of questions, having all kinds of doubts, and the Word of God is not the center. It's the feelings. Your feelings and your circumstances have become the center of your life. You're professing to be a believer, but you're so lukewarm that you're getting a nauseating to yourself. And maybe you need to rededicate your life. Just stand up if you want to recommit your life and dedicate your life in terms of missions, in terms of where you are. Okay? God bless you. God bless you. Anybody else? I can't see your heart, and I don't need to. Because it's not about me. It's about God dealing with you. And some of you, I know, God is saying, some of these guys need to stand up and these girls, but they're not going to do it because pride has set in and they're too ashamed to show anybody else that they can be counted on. So if you need to recommit your life, you stand and you make this real with God. How many of you now saying, you know what, I've been committed to Jesus Christ. Every time the pastor, every time the elders, every time the teachers tell me that we're going on a mission in the community or we're going somewhere, 
I'm there for them. They don't need to ask me a second time. They tell me once I'm there. If that's where you're at, I want you to stand up. If that's where you're at, I want you to stand up. Whenever they call and whatever they say, if they're calling me to missions, that's where I'm going. I want you to stand up. Okay. Now, I want you to understand the spirit of pride and ashamedness is in the wrong places when we can't stand for one of those things. Are we faithful, fruitful followers of Jesus Christ? Are we? If we are, stand up. Faithful, fruitful followers of Jesus Christ. But don't stand up. Don't stand up if you don't know what that means. Because either my message made sense or it made no sense, and I don't want you to stand up. We got people here that will help you and coach you to that. But if you are saying, I am a faithful, faithful, fruitful follower of Jesus Christ, you stand up and want to pray for you. Okay? Now I'm going to pray. Father, I'm going to lift up these men and women. You understanding perfectly and without any shadow of a doubt where they are in mind, spirit, and soul. And I am praying in the name and the authority of Jesus Christ, who is Lord of Lords and King of Kings, and in his authority by him, he's called the church to be the church in the 21st century. He has called his people to be people of action, to occupy until he comes. For you have called and have brought to our attention, when you return, Lord Jesus, where there'll be faith in the land, where there'll be faith in the world, and in many quarters there will not be, Lord. But I pray, dear God, that this truth that you have brought for us by your heart to my heart to their heart will take, Father, such the altering, transforming, and empowering effect that you have intended it to be through your word, by your spirit, for your glory, until you return. And let them know, dear God, that they do not stand alone. Let them know, God, by your spirit, that they are more than conquerors, that they are to be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Let them know, dear God, that greater are you in them than he that is in the world. Let them know, God, that is Christ in them, the hope of glory. Let them know, God, that even if Satan will come against them as a flood, as a tsunami, that you would set your Holy Spirit as a standard against the enemy. And he will not have his way when your people are saying, Here am I, Lord. Send me across the street and around the world. Send me into the highways and byways, into my own home that may be, Father, needing deliverance. Our God, oh Lord, our God, how excellent is your name in all the earth. And we will praise you in Jesus' mighty name. We thank you.